athletic competition. It can easily be broken down into two parts. The minutes or hours it takes to complete the event. Then weeks, months, and years of joy or heartbreak. Finally, the decades to analyze and debate it. From the press box to press row, Donald Ware will break it all down for you with an in-depth look at historically black college athletics, as well as the biggest news stories and newsmakers of the day. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald You're Ware. You're locked into the dopest show on radio. This is Box to Row. I am your host, Donald Ware. Plenty of NBA talk coming up on today's program, the NBA playoffs are great like that play-in situation was great where we are with the playoffs a lot of excitement some good basketball um, some surprises we're going to talk about all of it today on box to row some other things i want to get to today on the program and of course uh, i'll set the table in terms of who's going to join us today on the program i gotta you know first of all my son graduated from high school congratulations to donald ware uh, we spell his name D-O-N-A-L-L, where who graduated from Harnett Central High School uh, on Thursday, as a matter of fact, uh, has a, a great grade point average in a 3-4. He's looking to be a video game uh, designer or a video game engineer. That's ultimately what he wants to do. He is going on uh, to college to, in fact, study that. And, I mean, you know, just a just a great kid. I'm I'm so proud of him. What he's been able to do. As a matter of fact, got his driver's license uh, this week. Also, it's been a big week uh, for him, and uh, so very proud of him and uh, what he has been able to accomplish to this point. So, you know what I want to talk about today a little bit on the program. Of course, going to talk some NBA on the program. I also want to talk some Coach K on the program as well. I want to talk a little bit about Naomi Osaka who decided to withdraw from the French Open due to her mental health. She decided to withdraw from the French Open due to her mental health. I, I want to applaud her for that. Now, I got to be honest. When this story first broke, seemed like it may have been on Sunday when the story first broke. Uh, the, I, my first reaction, because what it what you read, you know, you read sort of the headline and it states that the French Open, uh, in essence, uh, said that, hey, she's going to be fined or she was fined $15,000 for not speaking to the media. Uh, and also, the other French Open, the other Grand Slam, so what do you have? French Open, U.S. Open, Wimbledon, and, um, oh, man, it seems like there's one other. Uh, maybe it's just those three. But it, it, no, no, it's, it's another. It's just escaping me. I, I apologize. It's escaping me right now. But um, they essentially said hey, we may we may fine or take some other course of action if she does not speak to the media. And my first reaction when I heard because I've seen uh, we've seen her speak to the media. Right. So you just generally think, OK, she's spoken to the media before. What's you know, what's sort of the issue here? 
was that, I mean, what are we, what is going on? Why won't she speak to the media? I thought, uh, quite frankly, that the French Open, um, I mean, I don't know if I would have gone that far to say, okay, she, we're going to uh, maybe ban her from playing because you need, like, you need, I mean, you, the, the, the French Open needs Naomi Osaka more than Naomi Osaka needs the French Open. She draws a crowd to the French Open. She draws a younger crowd. She draws a crowd of color. And she draws a general tennis crowd because she's so good. So the French Open and all the other Grand Slams, quite frankly, need her. And so, but when I really thought about it and when she came out on Instagram to ultimately withdraw because she has anxiety when it comes to speaking with the media. And I mean, I, you know, I, I have, I I can't really say I've studied mental health, but mental health is something that's really serious because you have to think about it. We all think we're in our right state of mind, right? Most of the time, but sometimes I, I would go to say that most people have some type of mental health issue at times it's just a matter of can you control it that's just my personal opinion I think at sometimes I mean sometimes that you know I I can get a you know uh, maybe not to the and I think there's levels to this it's not necessarily okay well maybe with respect to her and her mental health it's an anxiety issue but it may be other levels to mental health so you know I when I really thought about it and if you think about it mental health like it, you don't sometimes in, in a you know so you don't control you're not in control like you think you are with respect to your mind and when that happens uh, I mean there's what do you there's nothing you can do about it you know and mental health is a real issue one that I don't think we talk about enough and I mean I I you know I I, I was ignorant in that moment. To that, I mean, I feel like with respect to mental health, like I'm not going to say sit here and say I understand it. I've been through. I'm not going to sit here and say that because I haven't to the degree, at least that I think some people uh, really have. Like you're not in control of your mind in terms of what is rational and all of those type of things. You know, I thought that the French Open ultimately came out and did the right thing in in, in terms of supporting her ultimately with what she is dealing with. We've had many athletes to come out and talk about mental health. You've had, you know, the likes of a Kevin Love. As a matter of fact, a couple of weeks ago was doing uh, radio interviews and talking about mental health. And he's talked about it. He shared the struggles that he's had with mental health in the past. And especially when we're talking about athletes. I mean, think about it like, it's hard to fathom, especially if you're a big time athlete, particularly if you're a big time athlete, if you're a celebrated athlete, if you're one that many, many people know they want to get after somebody always wants something from you, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, that's a lot to process from a mental standpoint. I mean, you don't, you know, people are trying to, you know, just have some of your time. There are people that are hating on you. I mean, it's all kinds of things that are going on. So I think it's something we need to talk about more. 
I think it's something that's not talked about enough when you're talking about mental health and really uh, more specifically with respect to athletes. And so I, I really I applaud Naomi Osaka. I think the French Open ultimately did the right thing. Uh, we're going to miss her from the French Open. I mean, and to, and to say that it could give other athletes an opportunity and open door not to talk to the media. No, it's not. I don't think it's like that at all. I think she. this is really something that, and she's very young on top of that. Like she's had sort of a meteoric rise when you're talking about the last two or three years or so. Matter of fact, she said she hadn't been right, uh, or, or I, I shouldn't say that. She said that, uh, this she's had anxiety, particularly talking to the media ever since she won the U.S. Open going back some two years ago or a couple of years, may have been 18 or 19, whatever it was, two or three years ago when she won the U.S. Open. So I applaud her. Uh, the French Open ultimately came back out and, 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 and uh, you know, they nah, I'm not going to say separated themselves from what they initially said, but I mean, I think they went down the right path in terms of making sure because, um, you know, first and foremost, uh, she is a person that is dealing with something just because it's easy for me. And she mentioned anxiety in terms of talking to the media. Like, I mean, I, I'm not going to say I had anxiety in terms of talking to the media to the point or talking like even doing this show, like been doing this show for almost 16 years. Well, when I first started this show and even before that, when I was really in media and having to do a lot of these things, like I didn't like doing them and it wasn't to the point that I wouldn't do them. I just had to go and do them. But some people can't do that. They can't just say, okay, I'm going to suck it up. Uh, I'm going to be a soldier, if you will, and just go do it. It doesn't work like that for everybody. We have to treat people differently. Just because there's something that happens to you or is good for you doesn't mean that it's good for the next person. And I think if we can keep that in our minds, because you never know who's struggling with mental health ultimately deep down, maybe on the surface that person presents a facade that says otherwise, but you really don't know. So we have to be very cognizant uh, about that. So we can talk more about Naomi Osaka withdrawing from the French Open today on the program. So Mike Krzyzewski, the head men's basketball coach at Duke on Wednesday, it was announced that this upcoming 21-22 season is going to be his last season as the head coach of Duke. And we've had Coach K, and of course we're right here in the triangle. We're in Raleigh. Duke is right up the road. I mean, Coach K has been on this show several times over the years. Class act comes on. We talk about a number of different things. He's meant a lot to the sport uh, obviously, when you're talking about college basketball, he's just been a lot to even beyond the sport as well. Just just great. He's definitely going to be missed the all-time winningest coach in Division I history. Five, count them, five national championships. Got a lot of players that are playing in the NBA. Uh, you know, the first time I really remember and really heard, of, really knew about Duke. I grew up. In the DMV, huge University of Maryland Terps fan. 
right? Uh, Lynn, the Lynn Bias days and all that was Danny Ferry. So Danny Ferry, I believe Danny Ferry was like, may have been like the first really big time recruit. I could be wrong about that because Coach K had been, would have been Duke since what, the early eight, like 80 or the early 80s. I think Danny Ferry was more like, I don't know, 87. Of course, Christian Leitner came along in like 89. Danny Ferry may have even been 86. Came out of DeMatha High School. DeMatha High School, the famed DeMatha High School, the legendary Morgan Wooten, Hyattsville, Maryland. Danny Ferry, big-time player. That's when I really first started to take note of Duke University and Coach K was because of Danny Ferry, who went uh, ultimately to DeMatha out of Hyattsville, Maryland, from the DMV. Uh, he went on, played a little, you know, pro ball. and uh, But, man, I think that recruiting class that included him was the start of something that really was able to build, and Duke ultimately went on to win five national championships. I think last year was just a frustrating year for Coach K with COVID. I didn't see any of the Duke games. I don't know how good or not Duke was. Um, but I, I could, I'm sure he was frustrated, not used to losing. I, I got a chance to listen to a lot of the games, but man, it must have been a f- very frustrating se- season last year. And I, I'm not saying that's why Coach K retired, but I find it interesting. Coach K is going to retire next year. Roy Williams uh, decided a couple months ago to retire this year. So you're losing the triangles, losing two big time uh, basketball minds here in the Raleigh. Durham Triangle area. So plenty more to discuss as it relates to Coach K here on Botch to Row on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM. Some more NBA talk also on the program. But up next, we're going to be joined by Indianapolis 500 winner. As a matter of fact, he's won the Indianapolis 500 four times, including... This past Sunday, Elio Castroneves. On the way, it's more of From the Press Box to Press Row with Donald Ware. Right, 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 right here. Right here on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM. You don't sit behind a desk every day to earn a living. You're out and about making it happen. And sometimes you get a little bit behind on your paperwork, you know, like bookkeeping and paying your taxes. It's easy to get behind on paying your taxes. It happens to the best of us. And you know what happens next. The big bad IRS comes knocking on your door. And when that happens, you need to call the good old boys at the tax doctor. Let them do what they do best. Deal and negotiate with the IRS so you pay the lowest you can in back taxes that the law allows. We are a 100% U.S.-based company, and we've saved our clients millions over the years in back taxes. If you owe $10,000 or more in back taxes, call my friends right now at the tax doctor and learn more. 800-659-7980. 800-659-7980. 800-659-7980. That's 800-659-7980. Track down the names making news in sports from the press box to press row. It's Donald Ware from the press box to press row. Elio Costa Nevis is a four-time Indianapolis 500 winner. 
And as a matter of fact, won the Indy 500 on last Sunday as he joins us here on Box to Row on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM. And Elio, we're going to get right to it. Elio, another win at the Indianapolis 500, your fourth. What does it mean to get the win uh, and be in that circle uh, once again? As a matter of fact, it had been, what, 11 years since you had been in the circle. So your thoughts, winning Another Indianapolis 500, the greatest spectacle in sports, your fourth in your career. Look, the thing is, uh, let me tell you, not many people had the opportunity that I had, and I was so happy and so blessed. But the fun part of it, a lot of the fans wants to make this happen. So this has been so special, winning the uh, number four. I mean, we're talking about A.J. Foy, Alan Sr., and Rick Mears, I can't believe I'm in the same group of these guys. I mean, these guys are legends. These guys are the God races, you know. So all of a sudden, I'm 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 just right there. It is, it is incredible. So I'm super super happy, of course, for that. But can't think enough the fans, you know, and especially you know the partners, Auto Nation, Series XM. They, those guys believe in me. They gave me a phenomenal car. And man, when you have those things happen. I was just a driver, you know, going around circles, and that was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Helio, you're the man, though. No, no, it's it's interesting you say that to be in the company of to those gentlemen you mentioned, the great racers of all time, Al Unser, A.J. Foyt, Rick Mears, as you so eloquently uh, mentioned, is it's got to be absolutely wonderful for you. You also mentioned the fans. What did it mean to have the fans back? That was something that was missing in the 2020 race. Yeah, it was so difficult in 2020 that when we were racing, there was nobody there. It felt like a practice. And Indianapolis, it's magical because of the fans. I'm talking about generation of generation, right? So people that uh, I, I met, so many people that my father used to bring me here. Now I'm here. Now I'm bringing my kid here. And that's where it's becoming so magical because you can't replace history. You can't. It's just a it's just not possible so when you don't have the fans it, it was very difficult however this year able to have at least 135,000 by the way this place can hold 300 to 400,000 people and when you have 135,000 people cheering and chanting your name man let me tell you it's it's a feeling that it's difficult to describe yeah I mean for you I mean would you finish 11th last year right so was I mean, what what's what was the difference? And again, you've been chasing this uh, for eleven years now, or chasing another one. I mean, once you've won the Indy Five Hundred, you've really done something. To win it four times is magnificent. You just hadn't done it in eleven years. So, what was the difference between last year and this year? Well, this year was very special because I'm not only um, it was my first year without Team Penske. I've been racing with Team Penske for over twenty. 21 years this is like a lifetime right and all of a sudden Meyer Shank Racing Mike Shank and Jim Meyer they said you know what I, I we spoke obviously last year just all before everything happened and I'm like guys I want to go back to in the car I was racing sports car with Tim Pence which we finish winning the championship and I'm like I want to go back let's make this happen and those guys I believe you you know what I can see your numbers and you still got so much more to offer I don't understand why they don't, they don't hire you, why they don't pick you. I was like, that's right, because they, they're not thinking about that. And, and so the difference was there to having 
people believe in it. They gave me an incredible car and everything that Mike Shank was promising me. It's like, this car is good, man. This car is good. And, and I said, that's all I ask because I want to have a chance to fight. And once I figured it out that the, the setup was so good, I told those guys, guys, we have a chance to fight to win. That's, I'm not saying we're going to win, but we have a, definitely a damn good shot to, to, to fight for this win. And, man, it was just everybody stepped up their game. I'm not talking about just the, the equipment, but the, the pit stops, the strategies. Everyone did their part, and uh, that's why we're here today. That's the difference. No question about it, a big-time win. So they call you Spider-Man. You did it again. You know, you get the victory. You, you, you know, you climb the fence. You know, talk about that and that particular feeling, being able to do that uh, once again. And how, how that actually originated. Well, you know, I did it again. You're right. It was so cool. My first time I was actually in Detroit in 2000. I was supposed to go to the Victory Circle. I made a little mistake. I have to be honest. I wasn't listening to the driver's meeting. But <laughs> uh, I, I stopped right in the finish line. I don't know why. Um, don't ask me. I actually, when I stopped, I look around. I was like, where is the mechanics? Where is the TV? Where is everybody? It's my first race. But when I look and laugh, the crowd was going nuts. They're like super cool. And I'm like, you know what? Uh, I'm going to go celebrate with them. So that's how it started. And uh, when I did it at Indianapolis, everybody went, went crazy. And uh, I tell you what, Sunday was even better because uh, everybody was just stoked for, to, for, for all of a sudden being there, part of history. And I'm just blessed to be that guy to make it happen. Yep. Elio Castroneves, four-time winner of the Indianapolis 500, including on Sunday winning it once again. He joins us here. On Botch to Row, can you speak the as as a Brazilian the pride that uh, the folks in Brazil had uh, for you once again winning the Indianapolis 500? Great question, by the way, because I've been getting message for so many people. In fact, not only you know general public, but I'm talking about people that have been in this business for so long former drivers, former team owners, um, uh, people from, from federations, you know. It is so cool. Even, even uh, drivers from the other uh, country uh, being sent me messages. So for me, that's the kind of like uh, respect that you don't ask for it. You earn it. And man, I'm telling you, uh, I, 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 I'm glad that everybody can see that because, again, I would probably say the same thing. We're talking about number four. It's been 105 years that only four guys made it. I mean, three guys, and now I'm the fourth guy. So it is special. It is for sure special. Yeah, no question. Did you think, I mean, I, I you know, when you come into this business, and particularly when you're talking about the Indy 500, not the Indy 500, but the Indy Car Series, so you're, you know, you're, 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 you're sort of at the top right there. Back in 2001, you make your debut. I believe it was your second race, but I mean, at the end of the day, your first Indy 500, you win it back in 2001 as a younger guy. Back then, you know, and we've all been that way. You're young, you're right, maybe overconfident, right. a little bit cocky. Did you think that this was going yep. to be easy throughout the course of your career? No, no. I, uh, like I said, the first one, in fact, it was my first ever oval win in 2001. So it was my first win in an oval. 
and I obviously what a way to pick, you know, which which over you're going to win. But no, I never thought it was going to be easy because I know how competitive this business is. And uh, but I tell you what, when Tom Brady moved from uh, the Patriots to go to uh, the Buccaneers, and I'm like, wow, everybody. And how many people? You're probably one of them. Said like, ah, oh, that's it. You know, the greatest quarterback is not going to make it happen. I'm assuming, by the way, I'm not saying that you did. But, <laughs> I got you. you know, uh, uh, and the point is, you know, the guy goes over there, you know, yes, prepare and and boom, win the Super Bowl. I actually even said that to Mike and said, Mike, if Tom Brady did it, we can do it, but we got to have two races before I did ask that because I can't go to the first race with you and not knowing a lot and, you know, makes miracle. But I tell you what, they believe it. They never said, we have a good car, Elio. No worries. We'll give you what you need. And they did. So when you have that confidence, people that give you that confidence, man, I, I, had, I, I was like, it's going to make, make it happen. That's why, in fact, I make that reference between me, uh, uh, Phil Mickelson, that you just won a PGA with 50 years old. And I'm like, I, I can make this happen. And we did it. So it's... Um, I'm super proud of that. Super proud of that because I, I, I was eager to – I'm going to find out Tom Brady's number to have a lunch with him and said how he did it. But now it's a d- different one. It's like I don't need to ask you anymore because I know how he did it. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. That is awesome, Elio. Last two thoughts. Do you think this is the year you've come second in the, in, in the standings uh, four times, the last being 2014? Do you feel like this is the year – that you can you can win the series. I would love to, but I only I only doing six races, five races now, and I mean, just one race, just one race that we did in Indianapolis. We're already P14, and I tell you what, we only feel above fifty or hundred eighty points behind the leader. I'm like, I, I told the team, put me in, put me in for the rest of the season. We can make it happen, but again, it's outside of my control. I would love to, and uh, but only with with five races to go, five races to do. It would be it would be very difficult. However, we got the big one, and I believe this small team, small budget, shows that with a big heart and with dedication, we can beat the the big ones. And uh, I'm happy about that. Well, we're gonna leave it right there. Elio Castroneves, again, four time Indianapolis 500 winner, won it last. Sunday for the fourth time he joins us here on Box to Row. Elio, really appreciate the time. Continued success in all you do. My man, thank you. So Elio Castroneves joining us here on Box to Row on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM talking about his win at the Indy 500. Says he probably won't win and just a, what five more races left to try and win the uh, the Cup Series this year says it's probably not going to happen. But again, I mean, and I tend to agree. I mean, you win the Indianapolis 500 because think about it. I mean, how many races uh, do you really do we really pay attention to? We talk about you talk about great American spectacles or some of the great events in American sports. Well, the Indianapolis 500 is right up there. It's right up there you know, pound for pound with the Super Bowl, uh, NBA finals and NBA all-star. Well, many, mainly NBA finals because this is very competitive, you know, World Series and all of those things, you know, the Stanley Cup, 
So uh, if you can win that, I mean, because really, if you think about it, how many how it, you as you out there, you're listening to this program. Could you tell me how many have won the Indy Series championship? Who won the Indy Series championship last year? Who won it the year before? Who's the favorite? Et cetera, et cetera. You, and you may not even know maybe who won the Indianapolis 500 on last year. You may or may not know that, but I'll, I'm pretty willing to bet that you're going to know who won the Indy 500 before you know who won the Indy Series championship. So the Indy 500, definitely a very big deal. Elio Castro Neves able to win it four, count them, four times in his career joining the lights of an Al Unser, A.J. Foyt, and Rick Mears. You're tuned in to Box to Row on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM. I am your host, Donald Ware. We're going to talk more about Coach K and his decision to retire after this season, what he's meant not only to college basketball. We know what he's meant to college basketball, but also what he has meant to this triangle community also and it just you just hear an outpouring of people that are saddened right but also understand that this is you know what coach k has meant to the game all he has given to the game of college basketball and are happy for him as well and probably happy to see him go as well by the way his recruiting class coming into this season is absolutely tremendous i'm going to play a couple of cuts of some interviews uh, that we've had with Coach K over the years, including talking about the one-and-done uh, situation and how he was ultimately able to adapt to that. Remember, even when you're talking about those first couple of championships, you're talking about players that were, uh, in essence, four-year players. You know, you're going to have some three-year players. I mean, really under Coach K for a while, not a lot of players really left. I mean, a couple of players that immediately come to mind early on that were that were well-known players, like a Corey Maggette. I think Corey Maggette may have been like a, a two-year guy. Elton Brand was either a one- or two-year guy. So those are some guys that went on to have some success in the NBA, were very successful for their short amount of time uh, at Duke, but generally you're going to have three-year guys in a, in a lot of cases, especially – for the first couple of championships uh, for Coach K, lot of four-year guys. But the landscape of college basketball ultimately changed. Uh, and guess what? If you're Coach K and Duke, you have to change with the landscape of college basketball in order to continue to try and win national championships and to be successful. More Coach K talk and more NBA talk on the other side. More of Box to Row with Donald Ware is on the way. ESPNU Radio, right here on Sirius XM. What up, what up? Yo, 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 yo. Okay, okay, okay. We're back here on Box to Row on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM. XM in the last segment, joined by Elio Castroneves, winner of the Indianapolis 500 here 
on the program. I want to get back to Coach K. Going to talk some NBA a little bit later on in the program. And again, mentioned we talked a lot about his days at Duke, but I think what we also have to talk about, obviously, is his time with USA Basketball. Three gold medals, three gold medals with USA Basketball, which is absolutely tremendous because if you remember prior to him taking over as the head coach, uh, USA Basketball, in, in terms of in the Olympics, didn't have the success, especially when you're talking about high-level uh, NBA players and not winning the championship. Coach K changes things, brings guys together, and ultimately uh, wins three gold medals. So that is a huge part of his legacy, no doubt. We talked about the five national championships uh, as well. He was a man in the community as well in Durham. Did things uh, for those who were less fortunate uh, through his foundation. So just an absolute treasure. He's definitely going to be missed in the basketball world. He's going to be missed here in the triangle. And fortunately for us here on Box to Row, had an opportunity to catch up with him on three separate occasions on the po- the program. And I want to take you through three topics of conversations again at three separate times. So we caught up with him in 2011, 2014, and 2015. Big shots out, by the way, to the Duke uh, external relations uh, office for setting up these interview or these conversations, as I like to call them over the years, but had a chance to just talk with him about a number of, of things. And, and instead of me setting it up, I'll let the conversations speak for themselves. When you recruited uh, Kyrie Irving, did you think he was a, a player that would uh, play one year for you, go to the NBA? Uh, has your recruiting philosophy changed in terms of recruiting uh, more players now that may stay only a few years? And finally, does the NBA need to raise the minimum number of years uh, that a player needs to play in college? It's, of course, currently one right now. Well, I think they're they're all the three parts are all good. Uh, one, uh, we did recruit Kyrie, knowing that he would probably be one and done. And uh, although you're never completely sure, because youngsters may not achieve the level of success, or they they might think they need a little bit more seasoning. But in Kyrie's case, we knew going in that he had a chance to be the best player and maybe even a number one pick. So that didn't surprise us, and we were fine with that, and hopefully he will be the one, number uh, number one uh, pick. As far as changing our philosophy in recruiting, we will recruit youngsters who have the potential to be gone after one year. Uh, with Kyrie going, we now have three guys who fit that, uh, Luol Deng, Corey Maggette, and now Kyrie. Uh, and... You just have to be careful that you don't recruit too many of them where you're always so young. And uh, But, you know, we'll, we'll look at that as long as the youngster wants to go to school and would even want to continue his education after going to the NBA, which is what Kyrie wants to do. As far as what the NBA is going to do, uh, this new collective bargaining agreement that they're going through, I admit a, a small part of it is – you know, what they do, you know, with kids coming out of, uh, out of high school and, uh, whether that 
gets to the table or not, we'll see. Uh, but what I would like to see is a combination of, uh, of, of two things. One, I still think a youngster should be allowed to go out of high school if he's good enough and would be drafted in the first round. Uh, I, I don't see why you would they've done that before. I've coached a few of those guys on the Olympic team, guys like sure. LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, and Dwight Howard. But if they do go to college, I think you should stay two years. And that makes sure that we're honoring the commitment to the academic institutions that we represent. And when you only stay here for less than a year, only two semesters, I'm, I'm not sure that's a, a good message to send to our, the academic community. Uh, about youngsters, you know, representing their school. You know, you had a, a historic meeting with with Joe Paterno, of course, the head football coach at, yeah. at Penn State, uh, which will, of course, be shown on ESPN June 30th. Coach K, I got to take you back to January 25th, your 1,000th win against St. John's. And, I mean, you you know, it would have been nice, obviously, to win it at Cameron Indoor, and, and especially the way you guys went. I mean, less than 10 uh, minutes left to play in the game. You're down by 10 points. But it's got to feel pretty good and, and really apropos to get that 1,000th victory at the world-famous Madison Square Garden. Well, you know, you're you're absolutely right. Uh, it's a great observation. Uh, you know, outside of Cameron, the, the place that I think is the next most magical place for me is Madison Square Garden. We've uh, I've played there as a player. Uh, I'll just say I coached there a number of times, and really when we uh, broke the record of 903, we also did it in Madison Square Garden. So uh, <laughs> it's that that that's kind of nuts, really. That uh, you know both those games. The, I, I, I said I always tell my my family the basketball guys must have wanted to see those games in you know in a storied arena. So it just worked out that way, but. Uh, that game against St. John's did not look like it was going to be the thousandth win. It, it, you know, they were out playing us, and Marshall Plumley came off the bench and really gave us a, an incredible spark and just got everyone moving. It's kind of like what Grayson Allen did, you know, uh, you know, for our team against Wisconsin, and uh, that's what makes really good teams. Is it's not just the star, but where any of the players might come in and provide a huge spark. And then Marshall and St. John's, uh, you know, Grace, Grayson against Wisconsin. We won at Louisville. Emil Jefferson did it. We won against Gonzaga uh, in the NCAA tournament. And Matt Jones did it. So you need contributions from everybody in order to, yeah, to, to win something very special. One of the things that uh, you've always done, and I can remember going back to uh, 2007, it was uh, uh, North Carolina Central's first year in Division One. Uh, but one of the things that you've always done, at least the last couple of years, you've always scheduled in exhibition the winner of the CIAA tournament and then also the winner of the Division Two National Championship what led you to, uh, to to do that and schedule these teams in exhibitions? Well, thanks for noticing that. Uh, it's been a, a really good thing for us and the schools that are involved. Uh, you know, it, it's one of the top programs in, in our sport. I mean, we're not the only one, but we're one of them. Uh, 
you know, we should do continually look at things that are good for the game. And so uh, it's now a number of years ago we started scheduling whoever won the Division II national championship. And that's proven to be a lot of fun. Uh, it's like, you know, now right after they win, they call us, <laughs> and uh, right. whoever it is. And, uh, and they usually bring down a, a pretty good contingent of people. They get to celebrate that championship again before they actually get going playing regular games. And then, you know, in our state, we have a lot of, a lot of schools that uh, are not Division One and a number of them that have been predominantly African-American. And, and uh, I, you know, I, I have great relationships with a lot of these schools. And, you know, we thought that with our other exhibition game that we would always play one of those schools from the state of North Carolina and, again, showcase their, you know, share the spotlight with them on that night. And, again, it, that's worked out real, uh, real well. And uh, as long as I'm coaching and they continue to allow us to have, uh, you know, two games, like uh, two exhibition games, I'll, I'll continue to do that because it's, it's been outstanding. He's what college basketball is all about. And the last question, I really, really to the point that we did it the first year in the next two years because we or the next two times we had the conversation with Coach K, asked him the same question with respect to playing the Division II National Champion in a scrimmage game, playing the CIAA Tournament Champion in a scrimmage game. Like, I mean, it, it just doesn't get much better than that. Like, Coach K gets it, right? And he understands uh, the history of the CIAA and more specifically the CIAA in the state of North Carolina because eight of the schools are in that play in the CIAA are in the state of North Carolina. So he understands the history. I can remember being back in 2010 exhibition game. Um, and I don't even think it was because it, I don't think he had, they had gone to playing CIAA champ and division two champ because the year before Shaw had not won the CIAA tournament, but Shaw had a really, really good team and I mean, a really, really good team like uh, the the head coach was Cleo Hill Jr. He was really building a program. He had a former top 100 player in Karan Johnson like that was a really, really good team. Ended up going to Cameron Indoor and ended up losing that game, something like 70 to 58, something like that. Like it was a pretty close game. You know, it was a pretty close game. Shaw thought played, you know, relatively well. Um, but I mean, just. You know, absolutely phenomenal um, that, again, he would schedule the Division II winner um, as well as the CIAA winner from the year before. I can remember Chester Davis used to be the play-by-play voice for uh, Shaw uh, basketball and football, for that matter. Graduate of Shaw, love Shaw, has since passed on back in 2004. And I can remember him telling me the story of when North Carolina Central won the Division II National Championship in 1989. There was a celebration uh, in Durham for uh, for North Carolina Central. And Duke was part of the celebration. Duke hadn't won the National Championship. They may have won the ACC tournament. I don't know. But, um, you know, the thought process of most 
that don't understand a North Carolina Central, who at that time was in the CIAA or don't understand the CIAA and, and only see Duke, there was like this big deal made about Duke and they wanted Coach K to come up and speak and all of that. And they were Duke was part of these festivities. But what Chester Davis told me that Coach K said was, listen, we want the spotlight. And he kind of declined, I guess, at that moment to kind of come up and speak. He said, this is about North, in essence, this is about North Carolina Central. This is about North Carolina Central and Michael Bernard, who was then the head coach, and them winning the national championship. They won a national championship. This is what the celebration or who the celebration should mainly be for. What this team has done is beaten every other team in its classification to win the NCAA title, albeit at the Division II level. And that's just how Coach K is. More of Box to Row on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM on the other side. Now, back to From the Press Box to Press Row with Donald Ware on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM. Back here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Going to talk more NBA on the program. I was definitely wrong about the Denver and Portland series. I thought it was a series. I mean, it was a really a tough series to call. Jokic is really, really good. Like, I, I think even maybe a couple of weeks ago, to me, I thought Joel Embiid uh, was the most valuable player of the league. But I think it's got to be Jokic, right? I mean, obviously, the, the votes were already in before the playoffs started. But Jokic has been absolutely phenomenal throughout the course of the season. And he's been very, very good, obviously, in the playoffs. I just didn't know if Denver could get it done especially over a Portland team that was extremely hungry. I think it was a Portland, you know, you look at a Portland team that added a little bit more firepower in a Carmelo Anthony uh, to this team, but it just wasn't enough for Portland. I mean, you look at Damian Lillard, like he did all that he could. Yes, maybe he wasn't great in game six, but prior to that, I mean, he did, you know, he needs some help. And I thought one stretch in the game, when you look at that third quarter, uh, Robert Covington, former box to row All-American Tennessee State star, really came to life in that third quarter. He hit three threes, and then ultimately, and I guess it's just a rotational thing. You know, I I mean, I haven't watched Portland enough to really understand the rotation uh, that it does, particularly with a guy like a Robert Covington who you're really counting on uh, from a even more so from a defensive standpoint, although we can look at the course of his career, especially the last couple of years, and know what he can do from an offensive standpoint, more specifically from three-point range. He hit three three-pointers. I think he took three in a row, took three shots, hit three in a row in terms of three-pointers in that third quarter, and then he, he they took him out of the game, put – uh, Mello in. Mello was cold in that third quarter. Then they went back to the combination of both uh, Covington and Carmelo, I-, I think in part because, I mean, you need that defense, like the defense and the versatility defensively that Covington provides. Although, I mean, it, I mean it's very hard to stop a guy like like Jokic, uh, who, who is so tall and just so skilled. 
Uh, but it just seemed to kind of go downhill from there. I mean, you're talking about a double, what, maybe a 14, as much as a 14-point lead uh, for Portland that absolutely dissipated. Give Denver a lot of credit. No Jamal Murray, but, I mean, the trades uh, that and the moves, I think, that Denver made ultimately has put Denver in this position. And now Denver and the Suns are going to play in the Western Conference semifinals. Didn't see that coming. I picked both the Lakers uh, and Portland to win, but Denver's going to be that team. And, you know, you have to wonder what's the future look like for Portland. I mean, you know, you can look at last year. I mean, very similar team. You add Covington to the mix this year. But, I mean, Lillard is not getting any younger. You talk about top players in the league. Uh, I mean, and, and the guy can just shoot the basketball, handles it well. Um, you know, I mean, he's just not getting the help ultimately that he needs to be able to get to that next uh, level. And I th- certainly think this was a year. I mean, I think if you look at Denver and if Denver had bowed out in the first round, I don't think we would have really talked about it as much because you look at what Denver was able to do last year, making it to the Western Conference Finals uh, the, and uh, ultimately the manner in which it made it to the Western Conference Final down uh, down to what the the Clippers three games to one. I forget the other day, but down three games to one twice, ultimately came back and won both series to get to the Western Conference Finals. You give them a little bit of a pass, I think, this year without Jamal Murray, although they have – I mean, they have some. They, they can. I mean, they're. It's a really good team. But Portland's another story. Uh, you know, you you got to look at Portland. Like, listen, you guys got to at least get to the second round this year. So, I think that was definitely uh, disappointing for the Trailblazers. No doubt um, about that. You know, this Nets and Milwaukee series. This is going to be a really, really good and interesting series. I think when you look at the Nets against Boston, I mean, the Nets were obviously the far more superior team. You look at the Celtics, able to get a win. But, I mean, for the Nets, I mean, the Nets just, I mean, how do you stop the Nets? They can score so many points. I I don't know that Milwaukee, I mean, I think this, I think this is a series that goes, I think the I think the Bucks can get a couple of games. I think it's going to be a four-two series with the Nets winning. I think the Bucks will get a couple of games, and that's the thing. Like Brooklyn, I, I realize you know part of the knock on Brooklyn at least early on was that the Nets didn't necessarily play defense. Forget about playing good defense; didn't play defense at all. I think that narrative is that's not the case. As much, I'm not saying they're a good defensive team, but they're not. They're they're decent. They're a def, decent defensive team and probably can play better defense when they want to. I just think that Milwaukee, as good as Milwaukee is, you know, looked in its last series. I mean, the Nets just have so much firepower. Like I, I just don't see how you ultimately uh, can beat the Nets. Okay, I mean, I think and I think now the path for the Nets winning the championship becomes, you know, I don't know. I don't want to say it becomes greater because 
uh, of the loss by the Lakers. I mean, I, 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 you know, again, as I mentioned, I didn't think the Lakers were going to make it to the Western Conference final, or going to make it to the uh, to the NBA championship anyway. But, but my, my trepidation was that I wasn't sure if any other team in the West was really good. But I mean, I, I think we see quite a few teams, obviously, right now that are pretty good in the West. With respect to the Nets and the Bucks, again, I have the Bucks winning the series. I think it's going to go, it's going to be four games to two ultimately. Before we get out of here, our condolences go out to the family of Grady L. Brewer. Coach Brewer was the coach the last 21 seasons for Morehouse. Um, had a lot of success, a whole lot of success uh, as the head men's coach at uh, Morehouse. Great guy. Like we had him on the program many a time. He's a graduate of Morehouse. Ran a really phenomenal program. Um, as mentioned, a graduate of Morehouse, 1980 graduate of Morehouse had been the head coach for 21 seasons. Think about that, 21 seasons. Even prior to that, uh, he was an assistant coach uh, at Morehouse, had a lot of success, uh, a record of 315 and 241 uh, at Morehouse and uh, still looking to get it done uh, at Morehouse. Uh, but God has other plans for Grady Brewer, had other plans for Grady Brewer who passes away. And so our uh, condolences, prayers, thoughts are certainly with the Brewer family. I got to get ready to run. Thank you to Elio Castroneves for joining us today here on the program. We've got great content on our website, BoxToRow.com. This show is going to be up early next week. So log on to our website, BoxToRow.com, if you missed any part of this show. And always remember to support those that support you. From the Press Box to Press Row is presented by W Communications.